0: We'll Welcome, B-Movie fans, to another B-Movie interview. I'm Paul. And I'm Corey. And joining us today is filmmaker John Oak Dalton, and he's here to talk about his upcoming film, The Girl in the Crawl Space. John, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you for inviting me, guys. I'm
0: glad, glad to have you, have you right. on. So, what first inspired you to become a filmmaker?
1: Oh, you know, just being inspired by movies. And uh, in the 70s, I had a friend who had a Super 8 film camera. So in the uh, late 70s, we... Uh, Made some of our own. This is like middle school era. We made some of our own little films in nineteen eighty. I got my brother and I got a Super 8 camera for Christmas, so we spent quite a bit of time making short films. Um, I went to college at Ball State University and started uh, studied film. Uh, made short films then, and so I, I've always kind of been in that world and had a lot of interest in it. Um, I felt like probably a career was more in television, so I, I worked in television for about twenty years doing all kinds of things. Um, but really knowing that, um, you know, at that time it, it was really film and video, um, was sort of just on the horizon as far as a entry point for movie making. So I really thought I'd have more luck with screenwriting. Um, I was encouraged early on because I, uh, I had won some playwriting contests in high school and, um, and so in college, uh, I was really more interested in that, but I thought I would um, kind of try going into film. Uh, I was lucky in 1987 when I was a junior at Ball State, I won a David Letterman scholarship uh, for a screenplay that I had done, or a seri- really a series of that I had done, and that was um, rare at the time. Nobody had ever won uh, the Letterman scholarship by just writing a screenplay. It was very video production oriented at that time, so um, I was, you know, kind of a smart ass kid. So like when I won a scholarship I I didn't have a cast and crew and everyone to thank like everybody else. So I stood up and thanked the Smith Corona typewriter company and the makers of Whiteout. And um, <laughs> but it did set the stage for many, many people after me over the years to win with writing projects. But I was the first one in nineteen eighty seven and that was a um, kind of an entry point, you know, a conversation point to say I'd won a Letterman scholarship for screenwriting. And um, so that was really my goal for the longest time was to work more in writing because I, I wanted to live in Indiana where I live now. I figured I could be a screenwriter and live anywhere, but being a film director, you know, wasn't going to be in the cards at that time. So that's a really high broken screenwriting. <laughs>
2: So what is your favorite aspect of writing a script?
1: I think everybody has different styles, but um, I think kind of moving the furniture around in my head till it kind of uh, is in place, and then I start writing. I don't make notes, and I don't write an outline. Um, I sort of have to have it all squared away in my head first. So I think kind of thinking about all those elements... um, and then it usually comes pretty quickly after that. You know, I can write usually in about three weeks from page one to the ending. I can have a, a screenplay ready for somebody. I think you know, putting my own interest in it, or you know, writing for some reason, some part of your life or story that you want to tell, that's always rewarding. Um, trying to make something of interest. I sort of feel like if you like B movies, B horror movies. You probably like other things I'm interested in, too, like comics and role-playing games and other B-movies and, uh, you know, reading, uh, DIY culture, uh, underground music, independent films. I mean, so I try to include elements of other things that I think people are interested in or I'm interested in. So those are all things I enjoy. Um, I think my strengths are probably dialogue and interesting characters. Um those are probably where I feel like I'm the strongest or where people you know make note of things that I've written um my style
0: Awesome, very cool. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about The Girl in the Crawl Space? What's the general plot and idea of the film?
1: Um I really wanted to do a movie that was about it it really starts where a lot of horror movies end. It actually starts with Aaron Ryan running away. She escapes at the very first, it's not a spoiler, it's the first 10 seconds of the movie. You see Aaron escaping. Um, And I really wanted to sort of deal with everything that happens after a horror movie ends. So um, it's kind of about Aaron trying to get back into society. Um, She has the help of a therapist who's played by Joni Durian. And um, Joni's an old high school friend who's moved back. Uh, to take over her father's practice, basically. Um, But Joni has a troubled marriage with a failing screenwriter uh, played by John Hambrick. And Aaron and Joni and John sort of form a... They sort of triangulate off each other and kind of cause trouble in each other's lives because of it. That's that's sort of the premise of it. It's really more of a slow-burn psychological movie than like a slasher type movie um i i really was influenced but i mean my my touch points really are 60s and 70s horror more than 80s 90s horror uh so i like a lot of long takes close-ups um uh, more old-fashioned type storytelling so it, it is more of a slow burn style um I sort of made it for myself, and thankfully other people have liked it, and um, it's going to come out later this year.
0: Definitely cool. Sounds like an interesting premise.
1: Yeah, I think people are surprised by it. It's a horror movie where nobody gets killed and there's only one drop of blood. I mean, everything that happens happens before the movie. All the terrible things in the movie happen before it starts, and it, uh, as Aaron's character sort of processes everything that happened to her while she was held prisoner, you get some idea of what happened.
0: It's like uh, a very human movie. I, I, it's very like, um, yeah,
1: I, psychological. I think that it's better, it's better if people have to sort of draw their own conclusions about what happened to her, because I think that's worse. I think people's imagination sometimes is worse than if you show something. I mean, people can connect the dots sometimes in worse ways than you would yourself. So well,
2: that's, that's A lot the...
1: of it is what happened to her, and it's up to people to sort of decide. And hopefully there's a few surprises in there as
2: well. That was like the whole premise behind the, uh, the ear removal in uh, Reservoir Dogs. Oh, they, yeah. they did two takes of it, one where they actually show him cutting off the ear and one where they pan the camera away. And they went with the panning the camera away because what your mind can come up with is so much worse or so much you know, more involved than just showing it happen.
1: Yes, and unfortunately it ruined that Jerry Rafferty song for me forever. But that's just another <laughs> topic.
2: So, you know, you said about you, you love the uh, the styles of, like, the 70s. And um, I was wondering if you could work with any director, you know, alive or dead, um, to give one of your scripts to, um, who would it be and why? And
1: that's a good question. I, I guess I would say... Um, I've really got um, – I've always sort of felt like if I – I guess it's kind of a similar question. If I really could remake anything, um, I think I would love to do uh, Godard's Alphaville. I love that movie so much because it, it makes so much out of so little. Um, so I maybe Goddard, I don't know, um, because I love that so much and I'd love to remake Alphaville. Um, the guy who, um, who recently died, and I'm, uh, it's, I, can't, I can't pronounce the first time, I think it's Setsuo, but it's Suzuki, the Japanese director Suzuki. His movie, Tattooed Life, I love so much. But he he's done so many other, he did all these Yakuza movies in the 60s and 70s and was supposed to be making these programmers and popularities, and he did all these odd things with it. And um, I've always really admired his movies. Uh, So he might be another, Suzuki might be another candidate um, as far as, like, my sensibilities. Um, I really think that the the director, John Hayes, uh, B-movie guy John Hayes, a lot of his movies, he tried to make something out of nothing. He tried to tell stories. I think in some way Andy Milligan was that way. But I mean, by all by all accounts, Andy Milligan was more of a misanthrope or misogynist, so maybe he wouldn't be that fun to work with. <laughs> but I mean, you know, of, of trying to spin strong to gold was really strong in his movies. Um, there's a, a another uh, French director that did The Red Circle, uh, John Patrick Neville? Do? I, I can't pronounce any of these guys' names. I like. But the movie The Red Circle that he did, um, he did a lot of hard-boiled noir-type movies, uh, the 60s and 70s. I really liked his work. and I, So those are kind of some people that I try to um, that I look to and emulate. John Rolland, the French director, actually, um, I think a lot of people disregard his work. And again, he, I guess any director that's trying to make something out of nothing or make something... Better than what he has on hand. I mean, those are the people that I'm drawn to. So those would be probably my top folks. Because uh, that's I think that's more honest. I mean, my my very very first thought was, oh yeah, Akira Kurosawa. You know, but <laughs> I'm probably not worthy of Kurosawa, so um, I'm going to stick with guys that are kind of in my uh, ballpark, maybe. Or I wish I was in their ballpark. <laughs>
0: Uh, so what qualities do you think make a great film? And could you give us some examples of films that you would consider great?
1: Horror movies or just movies in general? Just, just movies, movies in, in
0: general. general. You're like top five or whatever. Oh gosh, my top five movies.
1: I think, um, I think Dr. Strangelove is, is a really great film and it's still really current now. Um, I think it's really important. Important the the storytelling the acting um, there's just some really it has a unique quality to it so that's something I revisit a lot um, I think I think your favorite movies are kind of based on a time in your life where something's important to you it's like music you know like I know a lot of '70s music is bad you know I know the Bee Gees aren't good you know I know you know but it, it represents a time in my life and so you are you know you guys you know i'm guessing you know maybe now music maybe metal of some i don't know i'm just whatever your music is i'd probably be like oh no that's, <laughs> you know but but then i put that i put on the fifth dimension and you guys or john denver and you guys would be like oh no dude don't do that but to me it resonates because it means something at a time in my life so I think a lot of my favorite movies are something that represents the time in my life, you know. Um, Like The Bridge on the River Kwai, I think, is a great, beautiful, lyrical movie. But I saw it, you know, at the right time. Um, I think as far as, like, genre movies, same kind of thing. When I saw Dawn of the Dead for the first time, I think it rang so true because You didn't see movies like that. There was no stars in it. It looked grubby and grimy. John Wayne was not coming to save everybody at the end, you know? And so it frightened me because it was the, you did, you could see that it wasn't going to follow traditional narratives. And I, and I think that's what attracted me to it. John Carpenter's Dark Star, the same way I saw that in the theater. And um, it was so unlike everything I'd ever known that it became compelling. So, um, you know, I think my list of favorite movies kind of centers around, you know, things that I saw. I was a film major in college, so um, I watched a lot of, that's where I really got exposed to a lot of foreign films. So like, you know, remembering the first time I saw The Seventh Seal, Bergman's The Seventh Seal, uh, seeing Sunset Boulevard, uh, which I love Billy Wilder. You know, I love William Holden but I think it's because it represents a time in my life, uh, where I was exposed to certain ideas and things. And that's what resonates with me now, that era, you know, in film studies that we will, you know, Italian neorealism, French new Wave, um, the, you know, the Japanese samurai movies that Kurosawa did, um, but even like spaghetti Western, um, Italian sword and sorcery, sword and sandal movies, um, Japanese monster movies. I mean, you know that there's a whole era there. Um, th- those are the movies that really resonate with me as a person. So when I talk about my favorite movies, they, you know, and those are my influences. That's kind of where they're coming from. Um, just like you know, you guys, you know, or you know, people I work with now, younger people, they came up 80s, 90s, and their touch points are flasher franchises or whatever. And that doesn't resonate with me. I was already, I was too old by then, you know, to really be a part of that. So my influences for, for writing go back like the generation before that. Um, and that's, so, you know, when I made my first movie, I really, I really looked at a lot of, my ideas were like 70s ideas, long takes, really tight, full close-up. Um, those are the kind of things I like, and that's how I wanted my movie shot, um, to sort of look look into that into the past
2: a little bit. So on the opposite end of that, are there any films that you enjoy as guilty pleasures, movies you know aren't great, or movies people wouldn't expect you to like that uh, you enjoy watching anyway that you you are willing to admit to?
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Um, it's
2: a heavy question.
1: Yeah, I think I, like, I had at one time decided I would try to watch, because I like the, the, um, I like the Django the original Django movie, and then I liked a couple of the other Django, so I kind of thought I might try to watch, like, every movie that ever used Django in the title, even (laughs) if Django wasn't in the movie, and do an essay about it. And I got to about 30 Django movies, and I'm like, this is I cannot climb this mountain. (laughs) But I did watch a lot of Django movies uh, at one point, and really was planning on writing, like, an essay about it. And that actually influenced a lot. There's a lot of Spaghetti Western influence in Girl in the Crawl Space uh, because of that, I think. So that would be something I did that was um, kind of a quixotic kind of quest that a lot of people wouldn't want to do with me. Um, Yeah, so probably that.
0: (laughs) So what advice would you give to somebody who wants to create their own independent film?
1: Oh, gosh, um, I think there's so many people talking about it and dreaming about it. I think the hard part is um, creativity is like an empty bucket. You have to put things in it, and those things are promises and deadlines and commitments. And that's the hard part. Is you know, sit at my desk here uh, and. Just cranking on screenplays and working on posts a little bit on my movies, or doing the shot list, or trying to cast somebody, or doing rewrites because of some reason we have something we have to change. That's the it's the grind, and you know, knowing that if you if you really start a project, you know, you got to understand it's going to be a year a year of your life. You know, I I wrote uh, crawl space. Uh, last a winter ago, um, which was driven by the fact that I hadn't been hired to write anything for a long time, so I was like, screw this, I'll just write something for myself, and then screw this, I'm going to make this myself, not knowing I was going to commit a year of my life before it would ever come out. I didn't know the, the, how, the length of the process, so it was good that I did something that I was proud of, um, because and same with my new movie. Scarecrow County I started writing it in January actually I started it the day we did the director's commentary on in the crawl space that day we talked my producer Henry and I kicked around the idea I started writing it that night in January we shot the first week of March and here it is the second third week of June and we're in post on it but you know realistically it's it's a ways out so um but it's something I felt strongly about so I guess my advice is um you're going to have to grind. There's a it's, it's and there's a lot of there's a lot of art, but the bigger part is craft. Creativity is easy, grinding is hard, and it is craft that you can work at. Um, second, you know, don't do anything. you're I always said I never put a I never put a pseudonym on anything. If I'm not proud of it, I'm not putting my I, I'm not going to do it. I'm putting my real name on everything, so I. My other advice is don't do anything you're not proud of. Um, don't do something you want to put a fake name on because uh, if that's the case, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, and I think that the other advice I have is people think, and I've had people say this to me, and people I, other people I've worked with. Well, if I can't, you know, make Schindler's List Part Two, I'll just make some B movies, you know. Well. It's just as hard <laughs> to make any movie. You know. It does you don't you just can't crank out B movies just because you oh well I'll do if I can't get if I can't be Steven Spielberg's right hand man, I'll save some B movies. Well it's hard to make any movie. And I would challenge anyone to number one, write a script and to completion. Number two, get someone interested in making it. Number three, get someone to give money to that person to make it. Number four, then it gets made. Number five, then get someone, a distributor, to purchase it. Then number six, get that distributor to put it out. It's not easy. There are a million dead projects laying around, and there's a million people dreaming about making movies, and they think that, well, if I can't, if I can't make the next, you know, if I can't make the next Star Wars movie, I'll make 10 B movies. Well, it's, it, it's no easier. Um, not only writing, directing, getting the talent, finishing it, finishing it, a huge problem, and then getting someone to, to buy it, a distributor to actually purchase it and want to put it out. Um, it's challenging every step of the way, and I don't think people... And I think it's because of the idea that people think outside of the B-movie industry that b movies come from cynicism. And the projects that I've been involved with, I think, to a, to a project. Um, they're not. They come from a place of love and interest. And people never get together and say, okay, we're going to make a movie that sucks. And the an actors going to be bad, okay? So we need the worst actors. You know, everyone is rowing. I don't care what the project is. You're rowing for it to be good, not bad. No one is trying to make the bad movie. They're trying to be proud of their work. And the, even if they know it's low budget and cheap, That this will leverage X will leverage into Y, and Y will leverage into Z. That's the hope, not that oh, we're going to go out and make a crappy movie and people will laugh at us. I mean, that's never anyone. It's never coming from cynicism, or at least it shouldn't. Yeah. And I think the reason why is because horror fans, genre fans in general, let's say horror fans in this case, they can smell a rat. They know if you don't believe, if you're not with them, and if but if you are with them and they are with you, they will follow you to the end of the earth, and they don't care what the movie looks like. If you are sincere, horror fans will be with you. They don't care if the movie is achieved um, or if they're expected. Um, if you are not um, if you're coming from a place of cynicism, horror fans will be there for you. And that's a, that's a powerful thing that I think a lot of people that aren't involved in the genre, they don't understand that.
2: Our most heartfelt and important question is come to... Um, the question that we ask everyone we interview, because for some reason, Paul and I have been discussing this for years, is, um, what is your opinion on hairless cats?
1: I'm a dog and a cat person. Um, I'd have to think pretty hard about owning one. I, I'm not, wouldn't be opposed to it. I've had uh, several unusual cats over the years, you know, mostly strays that have been dropped off from there, but, um, I have to think pretty hard about a cat like that, um, but I'm, no, I'm not opposed
2: to it. Um, I'm pretty, uh, pretty open. Uh, I think that's uh That's one, one score, for one, one point from my side, Paul. It's what, like, 748 to like four. Something like, like that. Like, so. most people hate, most people hate most them, people and are
1: cool with hairless cats, they're fine
2: with it. No, most people, most people don't. They hate them. I'm not opposed to them. I
0: just kind of feel bad for them. If
1: somebody shaved the cat and gave it to you. That's bad. If the cat was born. Yeah. <laughs> Which there it's are those like, cats and that's how it is. See, Under I, think,
2: what circumstances is it hairless? I think they're adorable. Paul does not. That's basically the just, well one, they look mad all the time, which I, I would be if I was a hairless cat. All cats like, look know, mad, mad all the time. Mad. I
0: that's true, but they look even more
1: hairless cats. A lot of cats are mad all the time. <laughs> that's
0: true, but these guys these ones are like, you know, they look like little mob bosses. Like they just like they don't wanna they don't wanna deal with your shit. They'll like they'll kill they you don't. if you get the chance. And like my I guess
1: he do that. has got he's full of hair. He would do that now. <laughs> I can't turn my back on.
0: I always compare it to um, in um, Jurassic Park when they're like talking about the ethics of like you know bringing dinosaurs back. I'm like, what did we do to create these things? Like, has science gone too far? Like, it just seems so cruel.
1: That's a good point, actually. But I still, I, I'm still
0: cool with them. Though. Yeah, I would never hurt one, and I, if I, if one a stray one came up to me and like needed a home, I'd find it at home. Which um, <laughs> my wife's
2: allergic to cats, so it's. Uh, well, then you're that you're in luck
1: because
2: that'd be the perfect cat. Actually, the, the, they um, the, you you would be just as allergic. If the, it's the oils they produce. It's not the hair.
1: So y'all reading Fangoria or a Cat Fancy? What are y'all up to out there?
0: We actually had um, somebody on the show. We asked them that, that question, and they um, apparently they worked. Um, I think she was a veterinarian, and she told us
2: all about that. I'm like, well, wow, that changes
0: a lot of things.
2: Yeah, and my wife really loves yeah. my cat from hell on the Animal Planet.
1: Uh, <laughs> Dude, I got a rooster out here that I is on a day to day contract of, of life, so I, I kind of feel you on that. You can't turn your back on him at all.
2: (laughs) So, when is uh, The Girl in the Crawl Space scheduled for release, and where might we be able to see it?
1: Well, um, we signed a uh, distribution deal, but that has not been announced yet. It is supposed to come out 3rd or 4th quarter of 2019, Um, but as soon as that comes out, I'll holler at you guys. But we did sign a deal, it just hasn't been announced, which is why... I started working on Scarecrow County right away because you know there's an adage in the business that when you've got something, you've got to be able to tell people what's next. And I didn't have anything next, so the day we were basically wrapping up all the extras and everything for Crawl Space for the distributor, which included the director's commentary, that was when my producer and I, Hendrik Kudo, were like, "Okay, what's next?" And that's how that's kind of how you start. Um, and now, as soon as I wrap up Scarecrow, i got to be able to tell people what's next, and that part we're still working on. But it'll come out, um, physical media and streaming, later in 20, 2019, for sure.
0: Awesome. And where can we follow you to learn more about your film and any other projects you'll be working on in the future?
1: Oh, man, I've got my trash all out on the street everywhere. I've got a, I've got a longtime blog. It's at jonoakdalton.blogspot.com. Uh, You can find me uh, on Twitter at John O'Fdalton Instagram, John O'Fdalton Facebook, same Uh, Girl in the Crawl Space has a Facebook page as well Um, Those are probably the main avenues I think um, Twitter, Instagram, my blog Facebook, I've had my blog for 10 or 15 years and you can see a lot of the projects I've worked on, you know, I sold my first screenplay in 99 and the first movie that Came out from it with Mark Polonia's uh, Among Us in, I think, early 2000s, 2000, maybe 2004. My blog goes back almost that far. So if you go there, you can see tons of things that I've done with the Pony Brothers, with producer Henry Kuto, lots of other people. So
0: There you have it, B-Movie fans, The Girl in the Crawl Space, an upcoming film by John Oak Dalton. John, thank you for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun having you on the show.
2: Hey, thank you, guys. You're welcome. It's been fun.
0: If you have an independent film you're working on and would like to discuss, you can email us at bmoviebros at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com-bmoviebros or follow us on Twitter at bmoviebros or my personal Twitter handle at bmoviepaul. You can find all our interviews as well as other b content such as chats and movie reviews on our website bmoviebros.com. New content every week. If you have a movie you'd like us to review or in any additional comments, feel free to leave us a message on either SoundCloud or iTunes.
2: Just search for B-Movie Bros. This has been another B-Movie interview. I'm Paul. And I'm Corey, saying until next time, friends, be brave, be bold, and be back for more.